Welcome to the Social Witnessing Podcast, observing the world from a nice, safe distance. All right, episode 20, Social Witnessing with my good friend, Ellie Short. Ellie, how are you? Hi. Hi, I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. Are you all, um, you had a busy morning, we heard. Are you all, all good now? Oh, yeah. So um, I own a restaurant and obviously the last few weeks have been pretty crazy. But just um, this week, we started doing more of a takeout model with a covered window for pickup. And so it's been really awesome. And, and just we've had such an incredible um, supportive and warm welcome. But, you know, it's all this pivoting, right? It's just new mm-hmm. stuff. So, yes, it can be a little bit overwhelming at times, but it's all for good reason. Right. And yeah, I want to hear all about that because I didn't know you. Ha- I knew you had a uh, whole happy, which I guess is more of like a brand. And then um, but I didn't know about your restaurant. So I want to hear all about that. But before we get into that, maybe or I guess uh, touching on it as well. Um, how have the last couple of months been for you just in general? What's what's life been like? How did uh, things kind of start out for you and where are you now? Yeah, so um, I man, I've had a really crazy couple months, not just because of COVID-19, um, but right kind of as all of this was going down, I found out I was pregnant. Yeah, and <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And, um, and then basically like during the week we found out um, my business partner and I, my business partner with the restaurant and I um, had to decide what we were going to do even before there was kind of a lot of mandated talk. So um, so it was a really big high and then some some more lows, um, just kind of coming to terms with not only what we had to face as a business, but obviously what the world was facing um, on a global scale, which is um, so heartbreaking. So that was really big. And, and there's been a lot of other um, things that I won't get into now, just with our family, some health issues. So it, it has been a really crazy couple months, but I don't know if it's the pregnancy hormones or what, but I've been strangely positive and optimistic um, I've obviously been feeling a little queasy and tired. So actually being able to stay home a little bit more and really rest and connect with my body and my health, um, has been the greatest gift. And I, and I really have been, I've still been working with clients, um, with my nutritional business, just obviously doing virtual sessions, um, which has been going great. I absolutely love it. And a big theme that's really come up is, you know, feeling feelings, knowing, that it's okay to feel grief and heartbreak and worry and fear, but simultaneously, it's also okay to find moments of gratitude and joy um, and, and kind of um, a reawakening, which I think a lot of people are finding. And um, one of the biggest themes that comes up is people feeling guilty when they're really enjoying their downtime. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I certainly have. Um, obviously, now, the last few days, things have really picked up again with the takeout model, but um, basically since March 15th until this past Wednesday, I was home alone almost all day, every day with my pup. My husband's still been working. Uh, mm. He has a metal fabrication shop. So um, that's a little different for him. But mm. anyways, long story short, or really long answer to your simple question. Things have been uh, wild and unexpected, but really great. So it sounds like you got like you're doing, I assume, some social distancing, but you're both active, both still out. Um, yes, we, um, we have completely isolated. I mean, like I said, up until this Wednesday when things changed quite abruptly with the cafe reopening for takeout, 
Um, I was only leaving the house once a week um, or going into public sphere once a week to go grocery shopping. Mm -hmm. Every single day, though, I'm living on Vancouver Island. We're so lucky to have such great access to um, the wilderness. So Mm -hmm. every single day I've been going for a really long and very kind of hidden nature walk with my dog, um, but avoiding some of the really popular paths. Um, And then that's basically been it. So, so yeah, lots of, lots of social isolation, um, but still staying really connected to families and friends through lots of telephone calls and, and zoom sessions and all sorts of things. So it's felt isolated in, in a physical sense, but I actually have been finding greater connectivity, um, as well through other means. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, so for your, like the clients you work with, um, for nu- your nutrition business, what um, what type of, of work and services do you offer them? Like, what is that based on like meal plans or is that lifestyle change? And then also, I don't know if you can, but are, are people now struggling more with eating? Like I, I find that um, most people we speak to eating has become an activity. So there's also that aspect. Not, of not it. in a good way. Not in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So in general, what I do as a nutritional therapy practitioner is I work with a client. Um, Previous to this, I would work sometimes with couples or families, but right now I'm just obviously doing um, one client at a time via phone or Zoom or Skype. Um, And we do like a really thorough intake process. I look at their health history um, and then I give them recommendations on um, dietary and lifestyle changes that would... um, you know, help with their wellness goals. Obviously, that definitely often includes meal plans and guidelines and um, conversations about how to take that information and put it into action. Mm -hmm. Prior to all this, we would do grocery store sessions and meal prepping sessions and pantry cleanouts and all sorts of um, more hands-on activities together. But right now, it's just conversations and then resources that I send them, whether that is articles, podcasts, um, obviously my own um, my own content that I put together for them. And then, um, yes, totally. Like you said, meal plans and guidelines. I have noticed with the clients that I've been working with throughout COVID-19, um, some of, I say half of them, I started working with before and half of them I started working with kind of once all this was starting, um, the clients I was working with before, obviously we'd already had conversations prior to this. And one thing that I have found, um, in the past with, my clients is that, and, and with everyone, and I, and I totally understand this, is a huge barrier for people is their day-to-day, um, feeling overcommitted, feeling too busy, having a hard time reimagining their schedule. And I really do emphasize that it is um, a, a discussion of, of habits. It's a discussion of narrative that we tell ourselves. Um, you know, I have a lot of clients that, you know, would never, ever have breakfast but I have a lot of clients that would never skip breakfast. It's, a, it's an individual thing. And we tell ourselves this is the way it is and I'll never change. Um, but often when we're given the opportunity to rewrite that story, we really see a lot of openings. And that's what's happening right now. We have people kind of in more of a forced space to rewrite their story mm-hmm. um, without the excuses and the narratives. It's like, well, you know what? Now you do have the time. So let's really see what barriers are actually there. And this is, it's been fascinating. Um, and then with the clients that I've worked with, that I've been working with starting kind of during uh, COVID-19, um, you're so right. A lot of them are now finding actually the, um, 
the stresses, of course, of what's going on, really challenging and, and really taking a toll on their bodies and their and their wellness journeys. Um, also, they're finding the constant access to snacks in their home really challenging. Or they're saying, you know what, I do recognize that this is a fantastic time to really take this gift and this opportunity to work on my body and my health. Can you help guide me through some best ways of doing that um, so that I know that I'm, I'm, I'm laying a really great foundation so that when we do return to so-called normal, I have um, some really great tools in my tool belt. So it's all over the place, but I'm definitely recognizing um, some common threads amongst the conversations. Yeah, that's definitely, that's really interesting. I, I have only really heard of um, sort of like narrative therapy around trauma and things like that. I had never thought about the narrative that we tell ourselves around food. That's, yeah, that's very interesting. I wonder, um, I wonder coming out of this, so if you are seeing that people are changing and it's breaking them down, if they'll be able to carry it with them after and recognize that that was something that I was telling myself before and going into the next phase of our lives, if like when things start to get busy again, if they'll be able to hold on to that and recognize that it's just something you tell yourself if, if you find it a different path and a different way of, I don't know, working through the challenges you're facing in life, you'll have a totally different outcome. Do you think, do you think people will be able to carry this on into the next, like when we get back to whatever our new normal is? I think that's a, a really great question. And it come, or I don't think I know that's a very great question. <laughs> and I think what it comes down to is, um, is determination. Um, if people really kind of come to terms with the fact that everything in life is a choice. Um, obviously, the clients that I'm working with, many of which will continue to, I, I often work with clients on a very long-term basis. So I know that many of them, if when they are returning to kind of, let's say their more regular schedule, I'll be able to guide them through that and support them and, and give them um, a lot of care and attention to kind of walk them through what that would look like. Everything is so stepwise, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think for a lot of people that are finding some beautiful freedom in their their new schedule paradigm, I, I think that it will be really challenging for them to um, apply some of the lessons they've learned or the habits that they've been able to develop once they're, they're put back in their arguably regular space. However, I really do believe that habit forming and narrative rewriting, it, it's a practice like anything. And I think that whatever positive benefits people are getting right now in terms of you know, physical health or mental and emotional wellness, um, I think that will only make them more primed and resilient to be able to apply what they have discovered um, once they're back to maybe a more demanding schedule. I really do believe that deep in my heart. I think, though, coming back to what I said just a moment ago, it does require a certain level of recognition of autonomy and, and empowerment. So I really want to emphasize to anybody that's listening, whatever you gain during this time, it doesn't mean that that will be lost when things return to the way they were before. Simultaneously, whatever you're finding like challenging and difficult during this time doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to poison your future. Um, things can be so fluid and they can be so momentary, but also really important lessons if we, if we know what to look for in them. Right. And that's a good point that, you know, like with everybody's struggles, like if you're struggling now and you're making some bad decisions, that doesn't mean, you know, it's, this is not the end of the road. It's just just for now, it's coping mechanism. And you couldn't see this, but Michelle was nodding violently when you were talking about having too much access to snacks. 
<laughs> very common consideration at the moment absolutely yeah so we've been struggling with that for sure and maybe a little too much boozing too which seems to be a very common concern about or I don't know if concern but a, a very common uh, theme with uh, most people that we speak to yeah absolutely I think you know obviously I have not been taking part <laughs> I've had I've had like restrictions in that area imposed upon me probably for the better <laughs> but um I think that just like you said it's not about judging or shaming you know we all have different ways of coping but I think that if we start seeing some toxic habits being formed I'm just hoping in my heart that people have the ability to recognize that maybe for example excessive drinking um maybe isn't contributing to their life and, and, and the stresses they're experiencing in a positive way. And that's a huge, huge spectrum for people. You know, I, I recognize that a lot of people don't slip into that dark zone with having a couple of drinks every day, but some people will slip into a dark zone with having a drink every couple of days. Like I do know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's about honesty and recognition. And then also, especially as, as a nutritionist, I see so much normalizing language um, and I love the memes and I love the poking fun. Like, I actually really do love that. I'm like a very like happy-go-lucky person and I don't ever take things too seriously. But I think there's a lot of potential um, damage that can be caused when we um, celebrate things that are potentially harmful for people, um, like excessive drinking or eating foods that are really toxic to their bodies. Um, and some of it, like I said, it's, it's, it's funny. It's a funny meme. But if we don't allow, um, if we normalize potentially damaging behavior too much, I think that there's room for, for some, there's some issues for a lot of people. Right. And with um, the whole happy brand that I think you've been doing now for, for a number of years, I don't know exactly when it started, but um, I remember seeing it quite a few years ago now. Have you found any kind of shift in the engagement you're getting? What kind of response you're getting from from before COVID to what it's been like the last couple of months here? A great question. And so it's been about five five years since I've done. I started Whole Happy. I graduated from my nutrition program five years ago and really got things going almost right away. Um, I think that one of the one of the biggest things I've noticed is. Oh, it's, it's hard to it's hard to say this without sounding like I'm being too direct. I don't want to like re- be too reductive. I mean, mm-hmm. um, but I, I this is why this is why I'm being really careful. I've actually tried to be like hypersensitive to the content I'm putting on my Instagram um, and my blog. I've been really trying not to give too much advice or um, diminishing things to one like perspective. I've just been trying to just share happy recipes and not say whether it's healthy or not healthy, just saying like, this is happy food. This is food that's making me happy. Um, I've been actually really trying to keep things very, very surface level. Um, I just, I recognize that everyone's experiencing this very, very differently. And I would, I know that you can't completely protect how people react to your content. um, But I would be heartbroken if something I did right now was really triggering for someone Um, I also recognize that things are changing so quickly. Um, At the very beginning of this, I can't tell you how many emails and phone calls I got from people wanting me to write um, an article or a blog post or something about the foods they could eat to help prevent them from getting Mm COVID-19. And I said right off the get-go, I said, I really don't feel comfortable with that. 
Um, I absolutely think that throughout this process, amazing scientists and researchers are going to make fantastic discoveries, but I don't want to be that jerk that says that they know everything when really this is a great time just to hold each other and support each other. And so I've just been trying to put out really positive, um, like a little bit like superficial in a way in the sense that it's just not getting too deep and too heavy content. Um, and then, so that's what I've been trying to do kind of in my public sphere, obviously with my client work, um, so much of the conversation has shifted to mental, emotional, um, aspects and obviously how food affects that. Um, and then also like I covered how they're changing, um, schedules are affecting their wellness goals. So, so that's where the big changes have been. I'm trying to be a little bit more careful in the content I put out to the public. And then I'm also just trying to be really kind and patient and adaptive with what people are going through in their day to day when I'm working with a client. Yeah. And I will say that, uh, looking at your Instagram, that's definitely the mood that I got like very, uh, positive and I guess kind of like, like the name says whole and happy and, I really enjoyed uh, like there's so many accounts that are uh, about food and health on Instagram. And I feel like a lot of the time the soul's missing from it a little bit. And I didn't get that at all from yours, uh, the exact opposite. And uh, I'm not just saying that because we're friends, but I really did enjoy your account. <laughs> You're so sweet. Thank you. That's the highest praise. I really, truly, deeply mean thank you. Thank you. Well, I mean it for sure. Um, and so how did you move on from that to the restaurant? Can you tell us what that journey was like? And then it must have come. What was it right at when COVID started? How did it all go down? Oh, so, so when I opened the restaurant, it was about um, a year and a bit ago. Okay. Um, like I said, I did that with a business partner. Um, it's like a little bistro cafe. Um, it is so removed from, it, it has nothing to do with Whole Happy. It's a completely different business. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I'd always wanted, I should actually backtrack a little bit. Before I became a nutritionist, I was a journalist. And right after I graduated from journalism school, I went and did a little um, culinary program in Paris, um, learning traditional French cooking in Arc de Vivre, which is kind of like, you know, the French art of, of living and enjoying things like wine and cheese and delicious cuisine. Um, and my goal always with journalism was to be a food writer, to be a food reporter. And I did do that interwoven with kind of more traditional news. Um, and I still do food writing. I have a column with a, a lifestyle magazine. I've written many, many columns uh, throughout the past, I guess, almost 10 years now. Um, so, so that's still a really big part of, of my career. Um, but interwoven with all of that, I, I always had a little bit of a dream and a goal to open a place of my own. I was covering all these restaurants and cafes and whenever I would travel, um, I felt so inspired by that. Um, so, so I did start this with a business partner who had a similar dream. Um, and we opened at the end of February, 2019. Um, and, and it was running beautifully and wonderfully. And then of course, COVID-19 hit and we just shut our doors and we just have been really trying to be really mindful about protecting the public, not easing into it too soon. But we did feel at this point that it made sense for us to open, um, like an online ordering kind of takeout system and like I said we have a plexiglass pass-through window and all sorts of protective measures in place right and I didn't know that about that you had gone to Paris and done that can you uh, share a little bit about how that was what that experience was like because I feel like we could all use a bit of that dreaming right now 
Oh, right. I spend so much of my like subconscious time just traveling the world and revisiting past uh, vacations and experiences like that. It was hands down one of the best times of my life. Um, it wasn't, um, I really need to emphasize, I'm not a Red Seal chef. It's not an equivalent. It wasn't um, like a professional culinary course, um, but it was really, really in-depth, um, long incredible days making all sorts of traditional dishes. It was taught by a woman called um, Princess Marie de Broglie, who was a former aristocrat, obviously before that was dismantled in France. And it was like just a really cool program, Um, really, really traditional French cooking. Um, And I lived in a little apartment and went to school every day and was just the happiest I've ever been. and and then, of course, I came back to Victoria, started working um, in the news industry and for a food magazine and always intended on going back and doing more more of that, whether it was in France again or in Italy or something. Um, but life gets in the way, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> one day. And do you feel like that influences your cooking style now still? Or what is your style, I guess? Maybe that's a good Absolutely. Idea. No, totally. I think one of the biggest threads of my cooking style is just loving food and celebrating food. Um, and, I, and I also feel that's really important with nutritional therapy. There's so much toxic language used in the nutrition world so much eat this, don't eat that. Everyone must follow this protocol. Everyone must follow this diet. I mean, if you have had any kind of, you know, scientific training, you know, that's just not true. So it actually really bothers me when people come out of a so-called nutrition program and they're like really dogmatic about one highly restrictive or bizarre way of eating. Um, So absolutely from a physiological standpoint, your approach to food, your love of food, and then of course finding a way of eating that suits your your body, whether that's your, you know, your ancestry, where you come from, your your current paradigm and your future goals is really, really key to finding that whole happy. Um, but then also just as a gastronome, like a wholehearted lover of food and the experience of eating, um, outside of whole happy as just a human that really enjoys good food. Um, I just, I love food that clearly has a lot of love put into it. Um, and a lot of times you see that just intrinsically integrated into French culture, into Italian culture. Um, oh, so, so many traditional cultures in the world, um, food and, and family and love. It's, it's all the same conversation. And that definitely is at the heart of every single thing I do. All I want is for people to find a more loving relationship with food. But then of course, as a nutritionist, I want them to figure out ways that food can love them back a little bit more. Because it's one thing to just say, oh, I love eating baguettes and cheese all day. But if that's not making you feel very good, well, what's the point? How, how is that loving, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so that's kind of the center of it all is just a complete and um, raw celebration of what food can do for us on a mental, emotional, and physical level. And you do a lot of uh, gluten-free stuff, which is right up our alley. We're both gluten-free. Uh, do you, have you found that, we, we sometimes talk about this, have you found that kind of sensitivities and allergies have really taken off over the last couple of years? And is that a food preparation thing, the way we grow it and process it now? Or um, do you have any insight on that? 
Oh, absolutely. And, and I will preface this by saying there's a lot of incredible resources online, research, um, really um, intricate conversations amongst experts on this. So I'll give a really kind of like quick wham, bam mm -hmm. response, but please know that there's a lot more for people to look into on this, but everything you said, yes, yes, yes. So on one aspect, um, food is cultivated very differently. Um, you're looking at a lot less nutrient density. You're looking at a lot more pesticide use. Um, you're looking at, um, just a mutation of what was once considered a, a staple food in the diet. Um, you're also looking at increased toxicity in our environment, which puts our bodies in a chronic state of stress. This could be um, pollution. This could be exposure to um, you know, poisons at work, whether it's cleaning supplies and whatnot. All of that really does affect how, how resilient your body is to things that otherwise wouldn't be that problematic. Um, you know, we've got the whole conversation about our microbiome. A healthy microbiome makes a more resilient digestive system. Well, if the microbiome is compromised because of, like I said, toxin potential or, um, and I really don't want to get into a, a deep political conversation about this, but like obviously, and, and this, is, this is well documented, um, we're seeing an increase in C-section births. Um, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is, a child is going to have a weakened microbiome if they're a C-section birth. And if they're not breastfed, once again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a biological thing that we're seeing as those increase. Um, and so you're having people that are maybe as babies and children, not as primed to be resilient to certain types of foods. And then you're having this onslaught of environmental toxins. Like I already said, a nutrient devoid diet that further breaks down the intestinal lining causes increase in histamine reaction. Like there's so many things. Mm -hmm. And I don't think one thing is more important than the other. I think they're all working together to, to create um, an increase in allergy and reactivity potential. Um, and it's nobody's fault. And I really want people to know that if they're reactive to certain foods or something, it's not that they're weak. It's not that there's anything wrong with them. But however, I will finish my rant with a little positive thing. A lot of times people don't realize that food sensitivities, especially if you're seeing a lot of low level sensitivities. Um, we see this really commonly if somebody does a blood allergy test and they have a whole long list of things. Or if somebody is just like, oh, I don't know, I just feel like more and more whatever food I eat, I just feel like gassy and bloated or I get a stuffy nose. A lot of that is more um, baseline digestive issues. So you're looking at something called leaky gut. You're looking at this permeable intestinal lining. You're looking at a diminished microbiome or, or imbalanced microbiome. You're looking at more root causes. And often when people really spend some time healing their body and their digestive system, um, they become significantly more resilient to foods and they see a lot of those foods that were once told to them were no-goes for the rest of their life. They can actually really um, successfully reintroduce into their diet. And that's always my number one goal with my clients is to have them be able to enjoy as much food as possible to a certain extent, because like I already went on and on about, I just want people to love food more. So, um, so the conversation around allergies and food sensitivities, it's so convoluted. It's so cyclical. It's so confusing, but just know that there's a lot of really awesome practitioners out there that have your back. So if you're, if you're struggling with that, there are people out there that can help you work through it. Um, but of course, like you already touched on, there are some systemic 
like like societally systemic issues at, at work that are going to um, they're going to make it an uphill battle for sure. So I, I know it's a, a longer conversation, but if you have, because I'm someone like kind of what you described, where my blood um, allergy test or sensitivity test was just like off the charts, and my arm was itchy for like three days after that. And um, there's a lot of foods that I don't eat, like gluten and dairy and soy, soy and egg and corn. <laughs> and so if you were starting with me, I might as well just get a free consultation <laughs> while we're here. What would be kind of your first steps? What, what can people do in their home um, kind of before they go see anyone? Uh, what are some easy, basic steps that people can take can do at home? Oh, what you're already doing is fantastic. I mean, what you mentioned are some really common um, food sensitivities. So when you're trying to do some stuff on your own, some, some uh, detective work and exploration, I often say, you know what, start with like the big five. You've got gluten, dairy, soy, corn, and eggs. Like you literally just <laughs> named the most common, we're not common. I'm not trying to diminish it and not, you're very special. And you're very- <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> but those, those are really, those are, you see those a lot. Right. Um, and you do a little bit of a elimination experiment. You say, okay, I'm going to either eliminate all of those for a month and then slowly reintroduce them one by one, or I'm going to take it one food at a time. I'm going to eliminate gluten for three or four weeks and then see how I feel. And you can kind of start um, playing around with what you might be reactive to. Um, Part of that, especially if you do it all at once, you're just trying to diminish stress in your body. All, all of foods that reaction is, it's just like you're ramping up your stress response. Um, So obviously in that same breath, reducing stress, reducing stress is one of the biggest things people can do to help managing food sensitivities. Um, There's the the gut brain axis is like a really big conversation. It's becoming even bigger. Um, There's this thing called the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. It really deeply, truly um, affects how our body responds to food, how our digestive system responds to food. And when people learn to control their nervous system a little bit more, if they're able to be in something called parasympathetic mode more often, or calm and relaxed, as opposed to sympathetic mode, which is a bit more of that fight or flight state, um, often you see overarching improvements in their digestive function, which often includes food sensitivities. So there's the kind of you know, micro focus of removing foods and cutting them out and slowly reintroducing them and, and playing around with that there. And that's something that anybody can do at home. Um, But then there's also the macro focus, which is what are some things in my environment, my lifestyle that are causing this chronic stress that are causing this um, nervous system dysfunction that's making me not able to process foods as well. Um, Almost every single practitioner that works with digestion will agree that the root of it all truly comes down to um, this this nervous system reaction. Um, So when you can start doing more mindfulness practices at home, eating more of a calm and relaxed state, um, in general, trying to to find ways to be in that calm and relaxed state with that parasympathetic um, activity, then often people will start seeing greater improvements on more of a large scale, especially if they're, they're hyperreactive. But, you know, if you really want to do true digestive healing, often it requires a protocol, whether that's an autoimmune protocol, if you have um, digestive issues related to autoimmune conditions, or you're doing um, something called 
GAPS, GAP in psychology um, syndrome or GAP in physiology syndrome. Uh, there's, they're, they're both called the same thing. Um, that's a really, really um, comprehensive protocol designed by a physician called Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride. Um, so those are things people can look up on mm-hmm. their own. They can look up at home. However, I would caution people that protocols are tough. They're really, really challenging um, to implement. They're challenging to stick with. Uh, there's so many things that come up that are unexpected and a trusted practitioner can guide you through that. They can, they can help you stay on track. They can help you navigate the things that come up that were unexpected. They can help you with the twists and turns. So there's so much you can do at home, um, but it is tough. And that's why I think a lot of people do find help um, a, little bit, a little bit more um, approachable when they're trying to tackle something so huge as digestion. It's massive. Yeah, that's so interesting because the thing I expected you to talk about is some of maybe the foods that you could eat. And that's the only thing you didn't talk about, which is fascinating and probably why a lot of us are struggling because we're just looking just at the very first level of it. Right. That's a good reminder that I didn't say any of that. I mean, the practitioner in me is always going to want to look right. for the root cause. Um, and it's always going to want to get people to that point where they feed us, feel as much food freedom as they possibly can. Um, that doesn't mean that they're living this hedonistic lifestyle of eating bread and corn <laughs> all day. But maybe you get to a point where you can have it on occasion and your body really tolerates it well. Obviously, somebody with celiac, that's not ever going to be a reality for them. But for a lot of people where it's more of a reactivity or a sensitivity, which can still be really extreme, I'm not trying to make it sound like that's not as serious um, but often myself included so I avoid gluten and actually most grains um, well prior to getting <laughs> pregnant <laughs> I avoided most grains um, and then would have it with joyfulness and without feeling nervousness when I would have that beautiful sourdough crust pizza at my favorite you know pizzeria in town um, or we'd be on vacation in France or Italy and I'm sounding like I'm making it sound like we have a really fabulous lifestyle. I've been to Italy <laughs> once. <laughs> I keep bringing it up in this conversation. I'm like, well, if you're on vacation in Italy, um, but you can go on vacation and not be stressing the whole time. You can say, you know what? I can have a little bit here and there because my body is so much more resilient now. So there, there is room to grow if you're willing to do that deep digging work. Um, of course, just healthier substitutions in the interim are key. Um, and I think that's what you were like, oh, I'm surprised you didn't say that. I mean, obviously, if you're looking for gluten-free options or dairy-free options or, you know, whatever food avoidance options, they're, they're out there. And it's one of my favorite things in the world um, is to experiment with that. I love grain-free baking because I think it's so beautiful to be able to have a birthday cake with your loved ones. But what if you truly can't have grains or dairy mm-hmm. or whatever it is? I want to make this food is accessible to people as possible. And sometimes the culinary side of me discovers that a certain flour, a certain ingredient really actually lends itself to that recipe a lot better than the traditional ingredients. So yes, of course, there's so much opportunity to just do substitutions in the interim. Um, but sometimes it leaves people feeling very <laughs> disappointed. And I don't truly believe it is necessarily like you touched on um, a good long game perspective. 
I want to figure out what's why this person is so reactive to so many things. That's, that's my question, especially because so much of what happens in our body, we can't see. So if somebody's having a lot of issues with a lot of foods, what else is going on inside their body? What could potentially be leading to chronic disease? What could be going on on a deep surface or on below surface level that may rear its ugly head down the road? So that's what I want to do kind of as this nutritional detective. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just want to say I really like that because it's really treating the person as a whole rather than treating issues as separate. Like everything, everything about us is connected. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, um, I guess um, in closing, if people are out there and are now invigorated and want to dedicate their themselves to improving their food habits and their relationship with cook, cooking or eating. Uh, do you have a message of inspiration for them or any thoughts? Oh, absolutely. Too many. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I could go on for another half we'll hour. We'll have you back for just sure. Just have fun with food right now. Um, I would say exactly that. Just have fun with it. You know, this is a time to try to smile as much as you possibly can. You know, whether you are following a new recipe and you mess it up, who cares? Sometimes you make an amazing discovery with a so-called mistake. Um, if things don't turn out the way you had imagined, just laugh at it, roll with it, try to have fun. You know, food, food shouldn't be scary. It should be our friend. And right now, especially with so much fear, so many feelings of a lack of safety. Um, it's not that I think it's healthy to, to do some of the challenging things of like eating, eating away our feelings or finding too much so-called comfort in food, but do try to find a space of joy and playfulness with food right now. Um, for a lot of people, it's one of the main things that's filling up their day is cooking when they've never mm -hmm. cooked before. And if it feels scary, if it feels foreign, that's totally okay. It felt scary and foreign to every awesome chef out there at one point in their life. Um, so just have fun with it. There's so many awesome resources out there right now. So many people are putting out free recipes. Um, I know that a lot of cooking schools, the one I teach at is doing like online, like video courses. Um, they're those master classes. I think I've, I've seen, I see ads mm -hmm. for them all the time. You can like cook with Gordon Ramsay. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That seems like a really cool thing. Why not take advantage of this time and just start having a bit more fun with food? Um, I think, I think is a, a really great thing to focus on. And like I said, just don't, don't worry. Like if you are finding that what's going on with you is, is not where you want it to be. Don't, don't try to attach guilt or judgment to it. This is temporary. Um, and if you are feeling inspired to really focus inwards on your health and your wellness, and you're recognizing that this is a gift of a time to do a little bit more uh, work in that realm. Awesome. All the power to you. So there's, it's just no, you can't, there's no wrong answer here. I think that's the big takeaway. There's no wrong recipe. There's no wrong meal. It's just what makes you feel the best. And that is a very uh, multi-layered thing, body, mind, and soul. So that's what I think I would say. That's awesome. awesome. What a great answer. Um, do you want to let people know if, if they want to use you as a resource, where they can find you either virtually or in person or the restaurant? Absolutely. So the main space of my kind of communication activity in terms of if you're looking for recipes and wellness advice and things like that is my Instagram account, which is at Ellie Short with two T's. 
Um, I started that before I started Whole Happy. Well, started it. It was just my Instagram <laughs> account. Um, so that's why it's not. People are always like, why isn't it Whole Happy? Um, but I do have a website, wholehappy.com. So that has a lot of information there as well. Um, my email address is hello at wholehappy.com. Please don't hesitate to shoot me an email anytime about any questions. I believe in open communication. Um, and then I guess, well, the restaurant, if you want, if you're sick of cooking and you want to do some takeout, the only thing is it's just for people in Victoria, of course, and our hours are very short. We're just doing 10 to two right now. So it's really a a lunch option, which I don't know is like so great for a lot of people, but um, where we were before all this predominantly a a brunch and lunch place. So some, just some changing things, but yeah, so the restaurant's called Marta Cafe and Pantry. Um, and martacafeandpantry.com is the website. Great. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ellie. I've been uh, s- such a big fan of yours since we've known each other for a lot of years now. And uh, as you said before, you've always been a really positive and kind of l- light-hearted uh, person and um, really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. And it's been great to catch up. Yeah, definitely love the up. This is very upbeat. I'm feeling I'm feeling great now. I'm feeling inspired. <laughs> We're going to go empty our oh, pantry and throw all our chips away. Now. <laughs> no, no, just do whatever. Just lean into it. Whatever feels good. All I right, support. we'll just, we'll just, we'll slowly. just slowly throw out half. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for connecting with me. This has been so much fun. I really appreciate it from the bottom of my and we'd heart. We'd love to have you again. So let's keep in touch. Yeah, I have a lot. I have many, many more topics and questions that maybe <laughs> we need more time for. I'm sorry. I get carried away. I just go on and on and on about one topic. I geek out a bit. So that no we're, we're, we are deep, deep into the food into the food and its effect on the body. So we definitely could do a whole other podcast just about food. (laughs) I love it. So let's stay in touch and do it again. You bet. Can't wait. Thank you. Good luck with everything. Talk soon. Thanks so much. You too.